Welcome, everybody. I am Rachel Levy-Lesser. And I am Stephanie Goldstein, and this is Life Accessories, a podcast about accessories, clothing, fashion, and the stories behind them. We are two friends who love to accessorize and who remember what we wore on pretty much every meaningful occasion, and that is what we love to talk about. You can follow us on Instagram at Life Successories Podcast and also on Facebook. You can also email us at lifesaccessoriespodcast at gmail.com with comments, questions, or accessory suggestions. And if you like what you're listening to, we would love it for you to share this podcast with a friend and rate and review us wherever you get your podcast. Also, do not forget to subscribe so that you never miss an episode. Hello, everyone, and welcome to yet another episode of Life's Accessories. Today, we have the absolute pleasure of welcoming Samantha Green Woodruff to the pod. I am really excited to talk to Samantha, or as I like to call her and most people call her, Sam. Yes. And we're going to have a lot of fun chatting with her. I am sure of that. We sure are. Sam spent most of her career on the business side of media, working in strategy, business development, and audience research at Nickelodeon. And after leaving corporate life, she pursued her varied passions, such as teaching yoga, learning guitar, cooking, and taking uh, classes at the Writing Institute at Sarah Lawrence College. It was there that she found her calling to become a novelist, a job that she believes perfectly combines her multifaceted background with her wild imagination and passion for history, reading, and writing. Obviously, we love her. Yoga, guitar, cooking. I mean, all the boxes. You know what? I just love when people just bring their life passions to the forefront. I just love it. It's so inspiring. Like podcasting about accessories, for example? (laughs) That's a great example. Yes. I will say a little behind the scenes information, which we're going to talk about with Sam, is She took classes at the Writing Institute at Sarah Lawrence College, which is in Westchester County, New York. I call it a mafia of writers, these (laughs) women writers. We know a lot of them. Um, We've had a lot of them on our pod. A lot of these women met at the Sarah Lawrence Writing Institute and went on to write some amazing books. And Sam is part of that group and she's the best. So her debut novel is called The Lobotomous Wife. It was an Amazon bestseller and first reads pick. Her writing has appeared in Newsweek, Writer's Digest, Female First, Read 650, and more. Sam lives in Southern Connecticut with her husband, two children, two dogs, the world's smallest golden doodle. Huh. I wonder how small. I know. Yeah. Yeah. And a very (laughs) solid cabochon. And a small reptile zoo. Huh. Oh, that's a new one with the I two don't know. Dogs. Okay, we have to ask about that. Her second novel, The Secret Broker, which is a working title, so got to ask her about that. Mm-hmm. Be released in the fall of 2024. So, a lot going on there. She's a busy woman and I can't yeah. wait to talk to her. Very excited to talk to Sam. Hello Sam and welcome to Life Accessories. Hi, thank you so much for having me. We're so happy you're here, Sam. We're going to get right to it. So tell us, what accessory do you want to share with our listeners today? You guys already know I really struggled with this because I wanted something sentimental and I wanted something really powerful and moving, but I have this accessory that it's just, it makes me smile and giggle every time I see it. And so that's what I decided to to share. And it is this necklace, 
which is, uh, it's a blue and white, which happens to be very timely with what's happening in the world, a beaded necklace that I made in high school to wear to Grateful Dead concerts. And it's three rows of beads, crisscross beads, and has little jingly bells on it. And it's the most hippy-dippy, ornate, I don't know. I just think it's really funny because it's so different from who I am now. <laughs> I, I love the bells. I hope our listeners could hear it. I know. I'm trying to jingle them. All right. Yeah, the bells are amazing. This is very cool. And yes, <laughs> I know we are talking about something lighthearted like accessories. And it's hard to do in light of what is going on in the world. But we had a discussion beforehand that we were going to do this. We're going to go support Jewish authors, the work everybody's doing. And it is interesting that the necklace is in the Israeli colors. It has Dream a Jewish star look to it. It, does, it, it totally yeah. does. I'm noticing points, that. Right? I don't know. Yeah. First of yeah. all, we're impressed that you made that. Like, I know. You have some serious beating skills. Did you teach yourself that? How did you make yeah. it? Yeah. I've always, I'm, I guess, except for writing where I did go to continuing ed classes, I'm very self-taught crafty. I love to cook, but I'm not a huge recipe follower. I used to draw, but I never took a, I, I can't do perspective to save my life because I'm bad at it. And jewelry, I was just always crafty and I wanted stuff like this. And I was like, I don't understand why I should pay money for it. I can make it. And so I just taught myself how to do it. It started with like a simple string of beads and then I got more and more complex. And I'm sure I looked at books, like they have the crochet kind of books that show you sure. how to do it step by step. And I'm, I'm sure that I did some of that at some point. But yeah, I just, I used to love to do this when I was in high school. And then, and I actually had this thread throughout my life in my twenties. I brought this to show you too. In my twenties, I started to do it with like slightly more beaded. I don't know. Can you see it? It's like coin pearls and labradorite with little pieces of gold chain in between. So it's wire wrap beading. And this particular piece I made for all my bridesmaids in my wedding. This was the bridesmaids gift. No way. Yeah, I know. And you that? double well, it and wear it with a little tassel. So in the, my 20s, I was spending so much money on semi-precious beads and gold wire that I started to have jewelry parties and sell my stuff. And actually, this is so funny, a fellow author friend of mine, Daisy Florin, who wrote My Last Innocent Year, Daisy Alpert Florin, um, she and I were friends in our early 20s in a book club, and I actually had a jewelry party at her apartment in the city when we were like 25 to sell my beaded jewelry. I love it. How special to make those necklaces for your bridesmaids. I think that's fantastic. Yeah. Samantha, this, you're not going to believe this, but we've lived parallel lives because we talked before <laughs> offline that we're probably the only two MBAs who became authors. Most lawyers become authors. That's yes, the move. exactly. But when I was in business school, I was living in Michigan and in between studying finance and accounting, I went to the bead store in Ann Arbor and I had my own jewelry business and I had jewelry parties for all my business school friends. <laughs> no <laughs> way! Yeah. Did you do I this kind of like the wire wrapped beads yes. stuff is that what you I did? did so I would like study at the library and then I'd be like I can't wait to get back to my apartment I need beat. to go make some jewelry it's I, important to have those creative outlets it is it? it really it is. is and then I would get more and more complex I still remember I had made this like collar necklace of be of pearls and beads that I wore to somebody's wedding when I was 28 and thought it was so fancy because and I made it and I sat there all night every night making my necklace I think I love these skills never leave us <laughs> Never leave. No, yeah. they don't. They're fantastic. So do you ever 
wear the first necklace, the one that no, that is the star one, of our show today. This yeah. one lived in a little the, the beaded one, the bells on the rings on her fingers and bells on her shoes, which is the lyric from a Grateful Dead song. Yeah. Lived in a little flowered Rachel to something you posted recently, like Laura Ashley style quilted small jewelry box in my childhood bedroom. Yeah. And I found it in a box of stuff that my mom had a few years ago with a pile of 30 old concert tickets to Grateful Dead, Eric Clapton, Pink Floyd, like all, I was very cool when I was younger. I don't know what happened, but I started off. Are you still into the Grateful Dead? Are you into Fish? Which I feel is like the 21st century version. Oh my. Fish started to get big when we were in college. That was Mm -hmm. college. Yeah. I liked them and I like went like the first out picture of Nectar I liked and then I I also liked hip hop and I just I love music I used to sing I always have music in my life too I guess I'm very creative for someone who ended up with an MBA and working in business development <laughs> most of my life right same same now listen you are moving us right along because you have such a fascinating life story going back <laughs> to your days of being a jewelry designer for Grateful Dead concerts in the 90s. That, you know, that could have gone, gone one way. Right. But we wanted to get to the early years of your career. Uh, you held positions in strategy and business development at MTV. For the young people, MTV was this channel where they had videos they actually Vivo. played music videos. Vivo, Vivo on YouTube. Exactly. I still remember the first video I ever saw on MTV. It was at my Which friend Stacy's house because we weren't allowed to get cable until after everybody had it. But it was borderline Madonna. Oh. Oh. Yeah. Do you know yes. what the... So I actually worked... I worked at MTV Networks, like the bigger brand. And mostly I worked on Nickelodeon. So... Your listeners, if they're younger, probably will connect more with Nickelodeon than MTV because there's you can't do that on television and the splats and all that stuff. I was there when SpongeBob went from nothing to SpongeBob. Like I was there during the. Are you responsible for that? Because no, (laughs) not a little bit. (laughs) There is one thing I can almost claim responsibility for, which is I don't know if it still exists. That Nickelodeon used to do a cruise, like a Nickelodeon cruise on Norwegian cruise lines. And I negotiated that deal. When I was eight months pregnant with my first kid, I remember having, I had to get up and walk around the room like every five minutes because I'm so uncomfortable. (laughs) But I did negotiate that deal. Well done. Do I still have that cruise? I don't know. I think their licensing business has changed so many times and now it's all run by Paramount. And it's a very different animal than it was when I was there. All of media is different. So what brought you to that career and what did you love about it? I have such a weird trajectory. I was like a classic and I don't know that kids these days are able to even do this, which makes me so sad. But when we were in college, you could just be like a liberal arts kid and just study something that seemed interesting and figure out what it was going to do for you later. And I was that kind of person. Like I had, a, as, as you can tell from the jewelry and all the other stuff, like I had a breadth of interests And I was, I loved writing and I loved studying history. So I was a history major and I studied Eastern European history because our college years were right after the Berlin Wall fell. And I thought it was so cool that Eastern Europe was a place where intellectuals were leading this huge revolution. And so I got very interested in that region and basically created my own major to focus on Eastern European history and had literally no idea what I wanted to do when I got out of college. And I got some random jobs and then I worked in a photo archive where I used to sit um, 
and takes like stock photography pictures and keyword them into a computer so that I would come up with the keyword so that people mm-hmm. could search a database. And, but this was before what we have now and way before AI and find pictures that they wanted. And from there, I went and I did book packaging. I worked for a book packager for a while. Those are like independent production companies for coffee table books. I ghost wrote the foreword of this book about America in the 40s. And I did all the photo research for another book. And then I thought I wanted to go get a PhD in history. And so I started applying to programs. And I I don't know if either of you have tried to get a PhD in history. That's what I wanted to do when I was a history major in college, just so you know. Oh my God, we are the same person, you and I. Shout out to my recent American history TA, Nell, who I thought was the coolest person ever. I really (laughs) thought I would get my PhD in history, but I didn't. So it... I went as so far as to actually apply. And when you oh. go through the process of applications, it's almost like it is to get into college now, but I think even harder. You have to state in the outset what you think you're going to write your PhD dissertation on. Yeah. And you have to find a professor who wants to champion that dissertation before you've ever started in the program. Not only at this point now did I have to find a professor who was generally interested in Eastern European history, but I had to decide what specific aspect of Eastern European history I wanted to study for the next six to eight years and intensively write about and find someone else who also thought that was interesting. I got into zero full PhD programs and I got into a master's program that was a feeder to a PhD program at the University of Chicago. At which point I said, what do I want this degree for? Mm -hmm. And what I was hoping was to be like Doris Kearns Goodwin or to be at the time I thought I wanted to work at the History Channel. Like I wanted to do something that was more popular culture and public facing. And so all of a sudden, and then I knew someone who knew someone at Nickelodeon who said, why don't you just try working in television? And I got Mm -hmm. a job as an assistant in the research department and- From there, I totally took a left turn. I I love the twists and turns of this. And so in our various roles and the things that happen with us, we have these moments where we tend to learn something about ourselves, important things. And in terms of how we want to move in the world, what stands out to you in terms of a lesson or two that you carry with you today from those experiences? I think the rest of my history to get for even from there to where I am now, which is about to finish my second novel, and there are lots of twists and turns in between, what I try and really hold on to is there's only, and it's really hard to do because I'm type A, there's only so much you can predict and plan for. And you have to find this balance between keeping yourself open to the things that are actually going to be right for you and doing the things you think you quote unquote should do and moving in those directions. And like, I think one of those reckonings was this moment where I said, why do I want to go get a PhD? I had another moment like that when I had my second child and tried to go back to work and it didn't work out for me to be part-time. And I said, what am I getting out of going into an office every day right now versus being home with my kids? And I chose to be home with my kids. I had that moment again when I was miserable just being home with my kids. Not that it's a just for most people, but for me, like, I didn't get any joy out of any of the basic household stuff. Mm -hmm. And in fact, it was making me like a really angry and unhappy person. And then I started teaching yoga. So I've had those moments along the way. um, And I think that's the lesson, right? There are these moments that think you seem like they're going to be the worst thing in the world. And then they're just a pivot point. And 
to stay open to what that is trying to tell you where it can take you without being too like hooty goody. Right. <laughs> hooty goody. <laughs> hooty, 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 hooty. We I call it woo-woo here. Yeah, well, well, but I like I like, I like hooty hooty. I hadn't heard that <laughs> one before. I'm going with so, that. I'm doing hooty hooty. I feel as though Me we've too. been on your journey with you so far, and we know journey is an overused word, but it's very applicable here. You mentioned uh, that you have your second novel coming out that you're working on, but before we get to that, tell us then how you got from the point of post MBA, post corporate world, post not really finding your mojo when you were home with your kids to writing your first book, The Lobotomist Wife, your first novel. Tell us about the inspiration for the book and how you even sat down to write a novel. I went straight in for a nice light topic with my first attempt. At totally. Totally. Yeah. Why not? That's the <laughs> Lobotomy? So, Fine. Yeah. So yeah. basically what happened, I was teaching yoga which was what I'd been practicing yoga again since the nineties. I've been doing yoga for way before it was cool and then not cool. And then I think it's cool again. Like before Peloton had yoga, I was doing yoga. I always wanted to train to teach because I'm, as I was saying to you guys before we actually went live, I love the anatomy piece of yoga Mm -hmm. and the way that bodies move. I've never been an athlete, but something about yoga, it it was almost the cerebral piece of it that could, that I liked that mind body connection And so I wanted to train to learn more about that. So I became a teacher, not thinking I would teach. And then I had nothing else going on. And so they asked me to take on some classes. So I started teaching. It turns out lots of suburban teachers are people like us who had other careers and are now doing this as a work-life balance situation. So I was doing that for a while. And one of those women was taking a writing class at Sarah Lawrence and said, I'm going to take this beginner's novel continuing ed class. Do you want to do it with me? And I was like, oh, I could try and write a novel. I've never done that before. (laughs) That will be stimulating and different and something I haven't done. So unlike most writers, I always loved to write, but I didn't dream of being a novelist. I probably more likely would have been a journalist than I would have been a novelist if you had, again, charted my path because I like taking facts and information and distilling them down and presenting yeah. them in a way that gives context and color and all of that. So you have a second book, Historical Fiction Underway. Can you tell us anything about that? Absolutely. So Lobotomist's Wife, I started writing a novel about being like a dissatisfied housewife in the suburbs who wanted more from life. I read a nonfiction book about the greatest plagues in the history of the world, and the author included lobotomy. And somehow this light bulb went off that lobotomy was like in between the 30s and the 50s. And so I had this moment where I said, oh, my God, my housewife doesn't have to be me. It can be a 1950s housewife who could potentially be getting a lobotomy. And that was the seed of that idea. Yeah. Um, That where this was this tiny period of time where if you felt the way we do now and people start doing mommy juice at four o'clock in the afternoon, that's like the phase I was in when I started writing. You might have been a candidate for lobotomy. And so that was where the story started for Lobotomist's Wife. My mom is a therapist, and so I did grow up with psychology as my religion, but I had no training or particular background in it, and medical history is not something I've ever really studied before. The second book has nothing to do with this. I felt like I have to say that because the second book, the only parallels are that they're both historical fiction. 
Got it. The second book is, it's actually much more Jewish. There's not really any ma- major Jewish themes in Lobotomist's Wife, although in my mind, the Lobotomist's Wife was Jewish, but it was never an issue. It was never discussed. I just kind of made that up. Like in my head, she was. The second book is 1920s New York City. It's about a young Jewish woman whose parents were immigrants, poor Lower East Side, and she's a math genius and loves the stock market and gets involved in the stock market. Mm. She can't get a job as a broker because she's a woman. Mm -hmm. Her twin brother, by a variety of circumstances, becomes a broker. He's a natural born salesman. She becomes the woman behind the man for a while. And then as the years go on, she becomes convinced that a crash is coming and wants to short sell the market and can't convince anyone to do it. So it's about the immigrant experience, the Jewish experience. It's about being an outsider in a boys club and in a world that's like waspy. And it's also about, is she going to make money or get wiped out in the stock market crash of 29? So it's like also about stocks, but not really. (laughs) Do you have a working title for this book? And when can we expect to have the book come out? So the book is coming out the beginning of October of next year. So in a year, we're still a year away from it coming out. We, the, the title has gone 20 rounds. We're still not there. The latest title is Rhapsody in Green, which is a reference. Oh, I like, that's good. That's like doing my, a little bit of uh, market research. Um, It's a reference to the Gershwin song Rhapsody in Blue, which was very popular in the twenties. Yeah. Green is supposed to be like money instead of. I think that title is Life's Accessories Podcast Approved. (laughs) <laughs> yeah. And if our listeners have any suggestions yeah. on the title, please email us yes. or post about it. Yes. yes. This is fun to be working with a working title. It totally yeah, right? Is. Okay, good. I got to know you, Sam, a little bit in real life, as they say, through offline, through a group of some of these awesome writers, many writers of historical fiction, who I believe a lot of them got their writing start at the Sarah Lawrence Continuing Education Writing Program. Did you meet a lot of authors there? And can you talk to us about this community of authors? I call it the mafia of Westchester, (laughs) Southern Connecticut, New York City, female writers. I have to tell you this mafia is, and I've said it over and over again, it's the most unexpected and most fabulous gift with purchase of deciding to be a writer at this point in life. I love that. It really is because it people always, I think it's, it's become almost trite to say that writing is a solitary journey. It is, but right. this, there, there is this giant network of women, Susie Orman Schnall and Fiona Davis and Amy Popple and Linda Loyman and Jackie Friedland and I, Rochelle Weinstein, who's in Florida and Lisa Barr in Chicago. And uh, I'm missing, I'm not going to be able to name everybody. Yeah. yeah, yeah Amy we'll- Blumenfeld, <laughs> who's your like matchmaker yes. and our common connection. Who else is in this crew? Annabelle. Um, Annabelle Monahan. Did I not say Annabelle? Oh my God. Annabelle yeah. Monahan started it all because she was taught my beginning novel writing class when it was a smutty book about a woman having an affair. And <laughs> I was writing a lot of sex scenes thinking I could do like a smarter 50 shades of gray. That was like my original way in. So <laughs> Annabelle's one of the few people who's ever seen me try and write sex scenes. Too funny amazing group of women and they're really supportive of each other in every way. It's awesome. It's awesome. 
That is awesome. A question for you, because I want to go back to some of your other interests. So we've talked about yoga and cooking. Oh, yes. We read in your bio and we said earlier that we wanted to ask you a really important question. And that is about your reptile zoo. (laughs) (laughs) Can you tell us all about that? Because I want to make sure we get to that. My son is, and it's really, it's kind of tragic and and interesting to watch your kids grow up. So I have two kids. My son is 12 and my daughter is 14. And he, in the last year, went from being like four foot six and like sweet and skinny and snuggly with mom and obsessed with reptiles, which he has been since he was seven. So I think when he was seven, he asked if he could get a leopard gecko. And I said, if you can research how to take care of it, and write me a a list of reasons or presentation for why, then you can get one. I think it was for his eighth birthday. And he did it. And we went and got a leopard gecko at PetSmart and thus began began his love of reptiles. So he then, he got a leopard gecko the next thing. Then he had COVID, during COVID, he had COVID and he had been wanting to get a crested gecko, which is a different kind of gecko. As one does. Right, that one needed to be purchased at a specialty store. And we found a specialty store in Elmsford, which is like a little town in Westchester, A&R Reptiles. I got the crested gecko from them. And then it continued. He wanted a snake. So he has a snake. That crested gecko actually unexpectedly died recently, which is very sad. Oh, sorry. Um, his, and his I name was Darwin. How good is that name? Darwin? That is so Darwin good. the gecko? It's so great. The leopard gecko got a buddy. And then a friend... Uh, who I have hated for doing this forever, got Alex a frog for his birthday. Sorry. Can you imagine? You buy someone else's kid a frog. And it wasn't cleared by you? No. Do they all all live together? It's like a whole animal in his room that has all these different terrariums. He has two frogs, snake, and two lizards now, it used to be three lizards. Okay, how big is the snake? What's the story with the snake? It's big. It's probably, full, maybe at this point, it's like three or four feet. It's <gasps> That's too big. Okay, it's, keep um, going. That's it's way a, too big. It's, it's pale yellow with some like, nope. white spots on it. And it eats a dead rat once a week. No. And the sweetest thing is- Oh my God. My son and my stepfather, who's the world's best grandpa- they go to A&R Reptiles every weekend and get a rat and get worms and they get crickets for all of them. And I have nothing to do with the feeding, but I do love the snake. I like take it out and hang out with it. When Stephanie read your bio, we were like amazed at all you do. And then we just threw in the two dogs and the reptile farm. Can I call it a farm? <laughs> it's unbelievable. But I'm picturing your life and all these creative outlets you have. I'm also very proud of you that you can live in a home with all these reptiles and be so high functioning. I'm not done with yeah. the snake. I got to go there. How, like, how do you hang out with a snake? It's some kind of boa constrictor, but it just like, but it, that won't kill you. But it it coils That's around good. and it'll just like sit on your arm or like sometimes it, it likes dark places. So it'll like slither around, try and go up your sleeve. It's so oh. <laughs> it's and its name is Noodle. Noodle. He's, he's oh, so sweet. That's yeah. a good name. That's a good he's name. He's so sweet. To bring it back to the accessories, because of course in my mind, because I can't actually picture 
the scaly actual snake yes. like wrapping around your arm. I'm thinking about those bracelets with like the snake face. Yes, that like, had a yes little... like the Bulgari. Who, like, who made those? Oh, the yes. Bulgari. Yeah. Yes. yes. Yeah. Like the Serpenti That's my bracelet. kind yes. of snake. So yeah. That's like, my kind of snake. I'm going to bring it back, back for you guys. Yes. Okay, thanks. <laughs> Before yeah. we get to the end, the one piece of my like journey that we didn't talk about was that while I was writing my first novel, Lobotomist's Wife, one of my best friends and I were developing a fine fashion jewelry line, like gold and diamonds and precious stones, called 79 Layers. All of the jewelry was animal-inspired in some way. So I actually have a necklace on now. Oh. That is, I'll see if I can hold up and you can see. This is supposed to be elephant. Oh, that's really cool. Wow. Yeah. And then this one is, like, you can see it's just like a leopard like print pieces. yes oh that's yeah. beautiful yeah and then we did snake we did like a snake skin out of stones and she's still working on it but we got to a point where like I couldn't do both because it was a really big endeavor and her stuff is absolutely beautiful you mentioned the jewelry because Stephanie knows this I'm in the process of having all my grandmother's jewelry reimagined which I never wore and she had a lot of animal pins like a bug and a lion uh -huh. and I'm having it made into charms for a wire necklace. So yes. I'm going to be having a lot of animals around my neck like you. <laughs> I think I that's awesome. It. My grandma, who Pauline, who, by the way, is the name inspiration of the mother, my my protagonist's mother in my second novel is named after, is named Pauline. Because that was like my, she passed away when I was 10. But she, I think in some ways, was my sort of closest soulmate like she used to sing she was very creative she loved to shop and she if, of all my grandparents was the one who had a jewelry collection so she has these incredible charm bracelets she had a necklace with a fly on it it's like a gold oh, and wow. black enamel fly and has little legs and wings it, I, <laughs> I love that Sam but where, <laughs> where can our listeners find you um, so I'm online. I'm on Instagram, Sam G. Woodruff author, and I have a website, samanthawoodruff.com. So those are easy places. My book, The Lobotomist's Wife, is available on Amazon, and the to-be-titled book will get a title, and then I'll make announcements about it on social media. We can't wait for that, and thank you so much for joining us today. This was so much fun. Love talking to you guys. Thank you so much. It was so much fun. Thanks for joining us for a little while, and we will look forward to seeing you, too, in real life at author events in your animal jewelry, yes. and also yes. in our long dresses, right? Wait, yes. Wait. Yes. Puffy sleeves. Definitely. And puffy sleeves. What else is there? We hope you enjoyed this episode of Life's Accessories. Please don't forget to subscribe, rate us, and get in touch. Thanks for tuning in. Bye.